Welcome to Season 8 of American Political History, Colonial America, Science and Religion. The second pillar of the foundation of colonial America was education. Success in America and the ability to take advantage of the opportunities that were offered required hard work, but also required skills and education. From the new aristocracy to the frontier subsistence farmer, colonial Americans universally valued education of their children both spiritually and academically. A cultural paradigm today is the separation of religion and science. But to colonial Americans, science was the pursuit of the exploration of God's creation. One could not do scientific pursuits without the intertangling of religious pursuits. When I say that colonial Americans valued the education of their children, that is the holistic education of the spiritual and academic. Colonial Americans were highly religious. Every colony was started as a haven for a particular Christian religious sect. At first, these different colonies were vehemently against freedom of conscience. Each colony would face the pressure to conform from the Church of England. Faced with this existential threat, colonial Americans slowly embraced the idea of freedom of conscience, an idea that they had saw as heresy just a few generations ago with the founding of Rhode Island. But just as the Church of England had warned Americans, the chaos and splintering of Protestant sects would come to colonial America. In 1736, John Wesley founded Methodism in Savannah, Georgia. He was reacting to the current decline of religious zeal in America, saying that prosperity has given way to contentment. This malaise has cost society its proper religious zeal and vigor. Colonial American culture would face wave after wave of revivalism. Preachers would tour the countryside, condemning the loss of traditional religious practices and warning that colonial American society was careening into hellfire. These revivalist sermons could have been lifted a few generations earlier from the pages of Cotton Mather, John Winthrop, or John Fox. Each new generation was calling for the revival of the beliefs of a bygone era. Theodorus Freelinghesen, a New Jersey preacher of the Dutch Reformed Church, would bring the revivalist movement up and down the Raritan Valley. His sermons would be filled with hellfire and damnations for those that did not change their ways, and this would cause the beginning of a split of the Dutch Reformed Church. Jonathan Edwards stirred a congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts. He preached the revivalism and returning of the forefathers' religious customs, that Protestantism needed to be rehabilitated in order to deny the validity of an ungodly world. Between 1733 and 1735, Northampton, convulsed with religious fervor. Prayer groups organized and trembled at the hellfire that awaited their sins. Elders of the community openly confessed their sins on the street corner. And Jonathan Edwards' own uncle was so struck with guilt and remorse from his sins that he committed suicide. In the 1740s, George Whitefield toured the cities of colonial America. Wherever he went, crowds preceded him hoping to hear and view his sermons for themselves. It was said that his words could bring grown men to tears, cause some in the audience to grovel on the floor for forgiveness. These waves of religious revivalism rippled through colonial American culture, some form of a cultural conversation on where religion should be, a grasping of some better yesteryear, where their forefathers somehow had a more pure soul, or were more in tune with godliness.
scientific discovery. Growing up with a map of a globe, of a finite and discovered world, is a paradigm of the 21st century. It is hard for us to conceive of living in a world with frontiers and an unknown beyond, of plants and animals completely foreign to the consciousness of a colonial American. The new world was literally as bizarre and unknown as what we think of as science fiction today. Native cultures were very different than European cultures. Native cultures themselves varied greatly geographically. A native that would be encountered near Georgia was nothing like the Iroquois. Every plant, animal, and insect was something brand new and yet to be discovered and understood. The 18th century was dominated by the Enlightenment, the scientific method and scientific discovery. And nowhere presented better opportunities for scientific exploration than the frontiers of colonial America. From the very beginning of European discovery of the New World, these scientific explorations were viewed with optimism. That if they applied themselves, Europeans could be able to find some great discovery that would better the condition of all of humanity. Colonial Americans diligently learned the customs of natives, the plants that they used for medicine, the techniques they used for developing agriculture. Everything in the New World was ripe for scientific discovery, and the litany of discoveries made by colonial Americans would be world-renowned. Scientific discovery and acumen was culturally celebrated both in colonial America and in Europe. Celebration of scientific discovery was even rewarded to the lowest levels of society. In 1729, the Virginia legislature officially freed the slaves of Mrs. Francis Little in compensation for the slaves' development of new medical treatments that were curing diseases and expelling poisons. Scientific discovery was seen as part of service to God and community. For those successfully participating in scientific activities were clearly receiving the blessings of God. And colonial America embraced scientific activities with as much vigor as they did their religious activities. The Royal Society was founded in 1662 with the purpose of collecting and studying scientific information from all over the world. And from its founding, the Royal Society had taken a keen interest in the information and discoveries taking place in the Americas. The first colonial American to join the Royal Society was John Winthrop Jr., who during his life frequently communicated with Robert Boyle, Robert Hooke, and Sir Isaac Newton. John Winthrop Jr. was a scientific philosopher in alchemy, chemistry, metallurgy, astronomy, botany, and medicine. A deeply religious man, he felt that all scientific discoveries should be directed at the improvement of humanity's health. John Winthrop Jr. set the paradigm for the budding aristocracy of America. Science would not be dominated by mercantile endeavors, as scientific pursuits should be part of religious endeavors. With that mindset, he willingly and freely shared his personal library to anyone interested in seeking scientific endeavors. A generation later, in the 18th century, William Byrd II followed suit in the curiosity as a natural philosopher. He would import the latest scientific books from Europe, collecting samples and having regular correspondence with members of the Royal Society back in Europe. The American culture of scientific discovery was different than that of the static and stratified European collegiate system. In 1711, the College of William and Mary established the Chair of Science in America, which was roundly ignored by those pursuing scientific endeavors in the New World. The American decentralized system of many different individuals had little use of a college 
proclaiming itself the lone chair of science in America. In 1727, Harvard established the first modern scientific curriculum in colonial America. The president of Harvard, Isaac Greenwood, had been a disciple of Sir Isaac Newton, so he installed the curriculum in mathematics, arithmetic, algebra, and Newtonian physics. A college giving education of scientific endeavors was much more functional and useful in colonial America. A few years later, John Winthrop IV became president of Harvard. John Winthrop IV had a long scientific career in which he published 11 papers to the Royal Society. The University of Edinburgh had valued his scientific contributions so highly that they awarded him an honorary doctorate. When he became president of Harvard College, the Royal Society gifted him copies of Sir Isaac Newton's Principia and other expensive scientific tools which included the telescope that Edmund Halley used to observe Halley's Comet. By the middle of the 18th century, Harvard would become colonial America's preeminent scientific university. The rise of this institution was a reflection of the culture of colonial America. Throughout the colonies, like-minded individuals shared books, scientific tools, and correspondence amongst themselves, perhaps corresponding more than they even corresponded back to the Royal Society. Paul Dudley, a lawyer by profession, would produce papers sent to the Royal Society on various subjects, including preparation of maple syrup, breeding of pumpkins, Indian corn, the attributes of squash, and account of the observed earthquakes in New England, later publishing additional papers detailing the rhythmic motions of earthquakes. These papers would be used by John Winthrop IV to propose an association between the rhythmic movements of earthquakes and the motions of musical vibrations. Peter Collinson was an instrumental figure in the scientific discovery happening in Philadelphia. Collinson was a Quaker merchant and member of the Royal Society. His profession was ship captain, and he participated routinely in the triangle trade between England, the West Indies, and North America. At personal cost, he would make room in the hull of his ship to carry the latest treatises, textbooks, and scientific tools from Europe. He would fund these purchases by shipping back the most recent discoveries and natural specimens. Collinson would help to supply many a would-be colonial scientist with the latest tools and textbooks at a reasonable cost. Peter Collinson was one of the key catalysts supporting the culture of scientific discovery in colonial America. John Bartram, a Philadelphia Quaker and trained botanist who was commissioned in 1765 by King George III to fill the royal gardens with samples of New World plants. Bartram would go on an expedition along the American frontier from the Great Lakes down through Florida, collecting samples all along the expedition. Bartram's journals and specimens so profoundly made the rounds of intellectual circles in Europe that Bartram became a household name amongst the aristocracy of Europe, and he was considered one of the greatest contemporary botanists of his time. Benjamin Franklin would often tell Thomas Jefferson vivid accounts of the Bartram expeditions, encouraging Jefferson to commission more expeditions on the western frontier. It is believed that these stories may have helped inspire the commission of Lewis and Clark expedition in the 18th century. But the discoveries made in colonial America were not made by a few giant men or a few expeditions. John Bannister of Charles City, Virginia was known for his botany specializing in zoology. Dr. John Mitchell, a Virginian and member of the Royal Society, wrote prolifically on botany, zoology, and medicines. Dr. Cadwaller Colden, a physician merchant and eventual lieutenant governor of New York, was famous for the amount of samples he would send back to the Royal Society in Europe. He also wrote papers on mathematics, physics, anthropology, a paper specifically on yellow fever, diphtheria, and the virtues of tar water, and a history of the Iroquois. 
But the most famous scientist, and maybe American of the time, was Benjamin Franklin. The Royal Society considered Benjamin Franklin the first scientist in the American colonies. Franklin proved that electricity generated in a laboratory had the same principles as lightning coming down from the clouds. He would invent the use of a lightning rod to avoid damage and death during thunderstorms. Franklin's writings on electricity were almost immediately translated into French, German, and Italian and many other European languages. He would give a theory, a practical way to experiment on it, with repeatable outcomes, the definition of proper science. His solution of a lightning rod was elegantly simple, and his willingness to pass along all of the knowledge he had to others for the betterment of humanity made Benjamin Franklin one of the most notable Americans in the European mind. There was mythology of lightning. Franklin applied his mind, and there was the science of electricity. Thank you for listening to this season of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.